Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22, starting in verse 17 of that chapter and going for the next two chapters. It's kind of a little bit of a break in style from the previous chapters. And these are not Proverbs of Solomon specifically, but they're Proverbs of other wise men of the time, uh, probably compiled by Solomon or possibly even after his death, but still added to this group of, way of wise sayings. So what happens in these next few uh, chapters is there's two or three verses that give us some uh, snippets, uh, nuggets of wisdom, and um, each of them on their own um, are very helpful and beneficial to us in our growth, in our walk, in understanding what God desires uh, for us and from us as believers, but certainly taken in their entirety, give us a great picture of how we're supposed to live. And the title to this whole series through the Proverbs is Living Wisely in God's World. It's God's world. He made the rules. And we're living here and we're supposed to be walking according to his ways. So that's, um, that's what hopefully our study through the Proverbs is going to help us do. So beginning with verse 17 of Proverbs 22 and through verse 21, it's kind of the introduction to this next group of Proverbs. It says, in verse 17, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may answer the words of truth to those who send you. So here we get kind of our instructions or methods for growing in the Lord, for, for gaining wisdom and, and applying it. So verse 17, it says here, incline your ear. Inclining our ear is to be in that position to pay attention to wise counsel. You know, sometimes we're just not in the right place. Sometimes we're seeking wisdom in sort of the wrong places with the wrong people. So first thing here is for us to be in a position to pay, to pay attention to wise counsel. We need to be in that place where wisdom is going to be imparted to us and then we can do something with it. Secondly, once we're in that place where wisdom is being taught or wisdom is being imparted, we need to actually hear it. We need to actually listen to it. You know, just because we're in church and hearing wisdom from God's word, not my wisdom, but the word of God being taught, doesn't mean we're actually hearing it. You know, our minds could be somewhere else 
and we're, it's just going right over our head. So let's make sure that we're not just going through the motions, that we're not just coming to church, but we're actually desiring to get something out of it. The third thing that he speaks of here is to apply our heart. This is our active part in gaining wisdom. This is our involvement in this whole process, applying what we hear to our lives. Because again, gaining the knowledge, even hearing the wisdom uh, from the scriptures and then sort of hoarding it but not really doing anything with it, it's not going to do us or anyone else any good and it's certainly not going to glorify God. So we need to apply what we hear so that we can continue to be transformed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, It's a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them be affixed upon your lips. So here is to memorize God's word, is to understand God's word, is to also be able to impart that knowledge to others so that they're on our lips. So, you know, David uh, prayed for God for God to allow him to hide his word in his heart, that he may not sin against him, but also so that we can give that knowledge unto others. And listen, how many times when we go through difficulties in life do we go through the scriptures and we see something that God speaks to us directly in what we're dealing with at that time? So so whether it's reading it, memorizing it, bringing those those scriptures back, into our thoughts. We can apply those things and then we can respond. So the first saying or the first one of the wisdom snippets is in verses 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. So this common theme that we've seen throughout uh, the Proverbs and we see throughout uh, most of Scripture of God's care for the weak, God's care for the helpless among us. And we see that word poor and the word afflicted. Really, in the Hebrew, they both mean the same thing. That means those who are weak or humble or lowly or needy. And so, you know, we're called by God to to care for those who are less fortunate. But God will always plead the cause of those who are in need. So for us, it kind of, kind of shows us where God's priority is in this, in this life and where we need to be also. And, you know, whether it's a financial need or it's a spiritual need, we have to come to a place, too, where we understand our need. We're needy in the things of God. We're needy in the fact that we can't provide for our own salvation we have to depend on God for that. So it's some place that just has to humble us. Verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. So this is somebody who's got a hot temper, you know, not to associate with that kind of person because, listen, it's not a very pleasant experience for you, but also his demeanor can sometimes rub off on us in the wrong way so you know we can start to act that same way and have that same kind of of uh, characteristic so don't 
Don't become friends with that kind of person. We don't want to be also guilty by association. You know, maybe they have a reputation for being being just a hot-tempered person and you're associating with them, you'll, you'll kind of be put into the same group. Verses 26 and 27, do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? So this, we've seen this theme a few times throughout the Proverbs about co-signing or being a surety for someone else uh, for their financial situation. You know, there's warnings here and serious consequences where if that person doesn't pay and maybe you don't have much yourself, you know, the, the example here is he's going to take your bed right from under you. I mean, so, uh, you know, just to be wise in those things. Remember, Proverbs here is about gaining wisdom, you know, seeking godly wisdom in every single aspect of our life. So, you know, you, we're going to hit upon all these things. Uh, the fourth saying here in verse 28, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. So this ancient landmark they're talking about is actually like a property marker, uh, a boundary line. So it speaks about maybe moving that property marker over uh, further, f- further onto that other person's property and kind of stealing land from them. So you know, just kind of common sense things that we're not supposed to be doing. You know, the Bible says do not steal. So that would be stealing, stealing their land. Uh, Verse 29, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. So just speaking of diligence and hard work and how, you know, even men will reward that, will recognize that. You know, your boss will recognize diligence and hard work and you'll maybe get a promotion or get a raise and it'll look good on your resume when you go for another job. So just, again, common sense ways of living. Okay, on to Proverbs chapter 23. So Proverbs chapter 23 is interesting because it speaks a lot about two significant uh, subjects, two issues so to speak, that can really destroy a person. First thing is when riches become just the overwhelming pursuit. Not that it's sinful to, you know, make a good living or sinful even to desire um, to advance, but when that becomes your main pursuit in life, that it can become very devastating to you. You You can become actually overwhelmed with that and overtaken in that. And the second one is the devastating effects of drunkenness. And I'm going to kind of extend that out to any kind of addictive type behavior. So, you know, Proverbs is, uh, is great at showing us, uh, you know, the good that comes from walking with the Lord, the good that comes from obedience to Him. But it also shows us uh, the destruction that can come from walking in the ways of the world. So... Verses 1 through 3, and I love the, the way that, that the, uh, the writer puts this. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. So pretty graphic, speaking about, you know, warning us 
to resist the appeal of wealth and luxury. You know, again, not that it's bad in and of itself, but if that becomes your overwhelming pursuit in this life, then, you know, do whatever you have to do, the writer is saying. Go to whatever extremes are necessary not to be lured into worldly pleasures. Don't, be, don't allow those things to become the priority, in other words. You know, I love the example in the book of Daniel where we see this righteous young man, and a young man he is, Daniel, you know, taken away from his homeland, taken to a pagan land, and how he stands up for what's right. And Daniel, a few verses from the first chapter of Daniel, in verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Then the king, in verse 3, instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So they wanted to gather the, the children of Israel and some of the um, well-known people from the land and bring them in to to put them to work and have them do the things that needed to be done in Babylon. And in verse 5, it says, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So we see here that the king brought them to the land, but he brought them and he sort of separated out the ones that he felt would be to his benefit the most. And he wanted to give them the best of the best, the best food, the best wine. And look what verse 8 says here. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel was put in a position here of choosing sort of the riches and the wealth and the, and the upward mobility of the world at that time or the things of God. And he chose the things of God. And Daniel took a great risk in doing that, in standing up for his beliefs and not compromising to the things of the culture around him. You know, listen, we have choices every single day. And we can succumb to the pull and the draw of the culture around us. Or we can stand up for what is righteous and what is godly. We may face risks. You know, it might be relationships that are put at risk. It might be job promotions. It could be a lot of different things that we may face face uh, a risk of by standing up for God but we still have to do that it's the right thing so you know listen I love the examples in the scriptures of just showing us you know choosing what's right in God's eyes back to um, back to Proverbs 23 verse 4 and 5 do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, then fly away like an eagle toward heaven. So again, 
here seeing what the priority should be in our life. You know, we can wear ourselves out, you know, working to be rich. But, you know, a lot of times we don't even have the time or the energy to enjoy it. So there's got to be a balance there, you know. Um, and the things that we gain are only temporary. You know, they're not eternal. You know, the kingdom of God is eternal. Anything pursued for the kingdom will have everlasting consequences, not temporal consequences. I love uh, the example in First Timothy in a few of the verses that Paul writes to Timothy in verse 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from, their, from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Imagine that. You're a believer, and yet you're the, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of position, wealth, and the things of this world are so overtaking you that you actually start to stray from the faith, you know. And, you know, we, I've seen that. You know, I've seen people who put their relationship with the Lord on hold and they just seek the things of the world. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times they never come back. They never return to the things of the Lord. Verse 17 and 18, back in 1 Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. You see the balance here? You see the priority that Paul is teaching Timothy? He's telling him here, don't trust in the riches of this world, but trust in God. Why? Because he's going to provide for us. He's going to give us everything. He's given us all things to enjoy. And then to be rich in good works. To, re, to be rich in giving to others. To be rich in service to others. That's really where the, the godly riches come from. Going on in, in the Proverbs, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. So again, the graphic description here of, you know, a greedy person who may invite you for a meal, but he's really got ulterior motives. You know, he's going to see what kind of opportunity he can seize upon, you know, by pretending to be generous. You know, maybe he can gain some type of uh, advantage when he, you know, gets to know you better. Maybe you have something that he can use to continue to gain more and more in this world. So it's a hypocrite, basically, who makes like he's doing you a favor and he's really trying to do something for himself. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, verse 9, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. So again, we have this uh, this warning, you know, not to waste our time, not to waste our words speaking wisdom to a foolish person. You know, eventually, 
you know, as much as we may want to counsel or may wa- we may want to give good um, godly wisdom to others, speak truth into their lives, eventually they're going to reveal whether they really want to hear it or not, whether they, they desire that wisdom or whether they desire just foolishness. We want to be able, though, to minister to those who need, who need to hear the gospel. But they also need to, you know, respond to that. Proverbs one twenty two just reiterates this. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. So we just see that throughout this, the, the book of Proverbs. Verses 10 and 11. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. So this, these verses kind of expand on what we saw in the uh, previous uh, chapter, not to remove the ancient landmark. In other words, not to move those boundary markers, and especially for the weak among society. It says here, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. Imagine someone going into the property of of orphaned children and trying to cheat them out of what's rightfully theirs. You know, God views this as a despicable act, you know, stealing the property of a widow or an orphan. And God will act on their behalf. Notice the Redeemer there uh, should be capitalized in your Bible. Refers to also not, not just their Redeemer is somebody who's going to look after the poor, but God is our Redeemer. God is the Savior. God is the one who will act on behalf of all those in need. That Hebrew word is kinsman. Kinsman. Like Jesus is our kinsman Redeemer. You know, He came to earth. He became man so that we could relate to Him and then that we could accept Him as our Savior. So He's that Redeemer. You know, we were helpless. We were orphans. We were, we were without a father when we didn't have that relationship with the Lord. And Jesus, through His sacrifice, redeemed us back into that relationship. Moving on, verses 12 through 14. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. So, listen. We've talked about this already throughout the Proverbs, and we have to make sure that it's understandable that it's not to obviously beat a child uh, you know, without cause or severely or anything like that. They're talking about here instruction, knowledge, correction, and sometimes punishment that will train a child to live a godly life. And that's, as believers, what we should desire to do for our, for our children. You know, it's the encouragement to train up our children in God's ways because it will always be for their benefit. You know, the, const- the, the correction or the punishment that we may impose as parents needs to be, obviously, needs to be controlled and needs to be with the objective 
of pointing them towards God and teaching them a lesson. So we always want to be careful that we uh, throw that caveat in there that God's not telling us to beat our kids, you know, senseless or without cause. But, to, you know, there's certain times where punishment or correction is necessary. Verses 15 through 18, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice. When your lips speak right things, do not let your heart envy sinners, be, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. So this is speaking from a parent's perspective, you know. And again, the writer of the Proverbs is speaking as a father to his child, teaching good, wise lessons for them to grow in, in their relationship with the Lord and to walk in his ways. But as a parent, you know, we get such joy when our kids do the right things. You know, it says here, when your lips speak right things, my heart will rejoice. You know, and as a parent, we, we get great joy because of that. As parents, we can testify to the fact that not many things really bring us as much joy as knowing that our kids are living a godly life and walking with Jesus. You parents, I know, will amen to that. I love what John writes in the book of Third John. He writes to his, uh, his young student, Gaius. He says in verses uh, 1 through 4, the elder, meaning John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I, loved, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Imagine as a parent, you know, having one of your, one of your kids' friends come to you and say, your son, your daughter is the greatest. He is, he w- he's upright. He's got integrity. And he's always preaching the gospel. And he's just a great kid. You know, that's a great testimony to have that one of your, one of your child's friends will come. It says here, I rejoice greatly in verse 3 when your brethren came and testified. You didn't brag yourself. One of your friends came and told me, you know, what a, that the truth is in you. And then John goes on and says, I have no greater joy, no greater joy. And he's telling them how pleased he is that he's walking in the truth of the gospel. And this walk that he's talking about is a walk that's consistent with what a person believes. It's not a hypocritical walk. It's not believing one thing and doing another. It's not saying one thing and doing another. It's a consistent life. And it's also a life knowing that if you've been saved, if you've been saved from sin, your sin, if you have everlasting life, then for us to walk like we do, you know, that others may see that faith that we have in Christ and also desire it for themselves because we may become that only view of Christ that anyone might see. And we become that kind of that living book 
that people can read our lives and gain a relationship with the Lord because of it. Because in verse 18 it says, Surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. So walk as if this is not all there is. Walk as if there's life after this, and we're working towards eternity. That's the hope that we have that we want to impart to others. Verses 19 through 21. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. So, again, the writer here is giving us counsel regarding our associations with others. You know, we can be influenced for good or for evil, depending on who we associate with. You know, certainly, as believers, we want to associate with people to so that kind of our lifestyle rubs off on them, our faith rubs off on them, you know, but we also need to be careful that it doesn't go the other way. So what he's doing here, here is he's giving kind of a warning ahead of time to that this is what could happen. You know, don't mix with, you know, drunkards. Don't mix with people who can't, who have no self-control, you know, because that could happen to you too. Two verses in the New Testament that speak of this, uh, as Paul writes, instructions to the church uh, at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, a very kind of a common verse that we probably all have all heard. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good habits. So just a warning. Be careful who you associate with. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, we see a similar thing, just a little expanded. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. So again, we, we speak about this a lot of times um, when we're doing marriage counseling or premarital, we speak of it in the context of marriage, not to be unequally yoked, a believer with an unbeliever. But that's also in other relationships, you know, that it's okay to obviously to associate with family or friends who aren't believers, but not to have that, that unequal yoke that we're kind of bound together with them in whatever they do. So it's just uh, a good warning for us in life. Verses 22 to 25. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and, and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and mother be glad, and let, let her who bore you rejoice. So, listen, again, more encouragement to listen to the wisdom of your parents, your elders, someone who you trust and you, uh, you, know, you look up to, who has wisdom, who's going to speak that wisdom into your life. And we all have those people that we can relate to in that way. And again, what a great joy it brings them 
when we do the right thing, when we listen to the wisdom that they're giving to us. Don't, and, and also in the instruction here is not to give up, not to give up. You know, it's so easy to move from wisdom to foolishness. It's not quite as easy to move from foolishness back to wisdom. So, you know, we can f- fall. It's kind of easier to go down the steps than it is up the steps. So, you know, just be careful. Another just uh, clear warning here in the Proverbs. Verses 26 through 28. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. So it says here in verse 26, it's a little difficult if we don't understand how the Proverbs are written. It says here, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe, observe my ways. Wisdom is speaking here in verse 26. Wisdom is sort of calling us unto herself, so to speak, and says, listen, give me your heart. Give wisdom your heart. Observe the ways of wise counsel. And then the opposite of that is not to give in to the lures and the attractions of the world. And that's demonstrated or exampled here as a harlot. So something that's going to just seduce us away from wise things. And, you know, it's always spoken of here in the, in the Proverbs, especially as an immoral woman. You know, how she'll tempt a young man into falling into her wicked plans and to going down the wrong path. But this can refer to anything, anything that draws us away from God, you know. And I think the reason why many times it's spoken of in this, in this way is because how strong sexual desire is. And so it's used as an example because how many lives are destroyed because of that? You know, how many lives are destroyed because, you know, a man just isn't faithful to his family, you know? And, you know, the parallel there of falling into a deep pit because... You know, that's hard to get out of, you know, that kind of thing. Once you fall to that, it's very difficult to recover from it. So, you know, it speaks about that. But really, anything that's going to draw you away from God, you know, we should be warned against. This last passage here gives us some powerful warnings against the consequences of drunkenness. Verse 29 asks some questions. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? And who has redness of eyes? So, if any of us have experienced drunkenness or uh, alcoholism, uh, we can kind of identify with some of those things. You know, who has woe? Who has sorrow? You know, this alcohol is a depressant. And, you know, who has wounds without cause? How many times do people just get into fights because they're drunk? And there's no reason. They're just, that's just kind of how they are. And so, um, and even the practical thing here about who has redness of eyes. So, 
Those are the questions. The answers are forthcoming. Verse 30. Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. So this is kind of specific language here to teach that lingering long and searching for mixed wine speak of like constant drinking without a break. You know, someone who's not just, you know, having a, a glass of wine with dinner or, or a beer with dinner, but someone who's really going at it, trying to get drunk. And that's, what, that's why they use that specific language. This is a person who's drinking for the sake of getting drunk. The Bible condemns drunkenness as a sin. It condemns all those kinds of addictions as sin. So we're told in the scriptures not to let anything enslave us, right? Not to let anything bring us under its control except for the Holy Spirit. What does it say in Ephesians 5.18? Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. See, I love that because it shows you that something's going to control your life. And you can be under the control of something like alcohol or drugs or any other addictive type behavior, and that will take you under its control and you won't be able to recover from that. Or you can be under the control of the Holy Spirit and you can be living a godly life. You can be walking in God's ways. So Paul is very, um, uh, you know, very wise giving us that comparison, not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, he speaks about the fact that, listen, we, we have freedom in Christ as believers. You know, somebody might ask, well, are we allowed to drink alcohol as believers? And Paul covers that in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but, not, but all things are not helpful. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, I have freedom in Christ, but not everything is beneficial to me. So I have to make decisions in my life as to what I'm going to allow in my life and what I'm not going to allow. And those are kind of personal decisions. He goes on, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, this is the choice we have to make, believers. And that is, are we going to allow something outside of God to bring us under its control and bring us under its power? Or are we going to yield to Him and allow Him to do uh, those things in our life, those exhortations and warnings? The writer gives some more exhortations in verses 31 and 32. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls about smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. So, again, very specific language that he's saying here. He's saying here the red identifies this as undiluted wine. You know, a lot of times back then especially they would mix their wine with water to sort of dilute it. So it just became, you know, just a pleasant drink. But this is undiluted. This is red wine. And this is something that's going to bite you. It's going to sting you. And uh, again, 
you know, hard to recover from those things. It's going to have that intoxicating result. And then finishing up, we see here the effects of drunkenness. Not only while you're drinking and while that's going on, but also the after effects. Verse 33 through 35, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? So listen, many of us have experienced this or know people in our lives who have had these things happen to them. We don't see right. We don't speak right. And a lot of times our, our feelings are numbed when we're under the influence of alcohol. And even here it speaks about, you know, feeling sick to our stomach, you know, like you're, you're at a, um, on the mast of a, of a ship being tossed about in the sea, you know, getting into a fight and not even feeling the beatings because we're so numbed from the alcohol. And then... I think one of the worst things is the effects of it the next morning, you know. And not only do you feel really bad physically, but, you know, sometimes you're just really depressed and dejected. But think about this person that wakes up and says, not I want to change my ways, but I need another drink. And there are some also that have succumbed to that so that that's, that's the kind of person that the writer of these Proverbs is, is talking about, that person who's really overcome in that. And now listen, we know people who are overcome in al- with alcoholism or some other destructive addiction. And how should we respond as Christians? You know, because m- some of us might have been there ourselves. First of all, we need to understand that the person is struggling with the addiction, but he's also struggling with a spiritual force that's coming against him, especially if they're a believer and they're, and they're succumbing to that. That's the enemy trying to get control of their life, not allowing you to yield to the Spirit of God. Second, we need to balance compassion, you know, with that person and understanding, but without enabling them. You know, that's a word that's used, that's thrown around a lot. But without enabling them to continue in their destructive lifestyle, that's a tough balance. You know, we want to love that person, you know, know, out of that. You know, but we also don't want to enable them to continue in it. So that's something that we seek the Lord in prayer. You know, encourage that person maybe to get the help that we know that they need. Um, Seek to guide them into a deeper relationship with Christ. You know, maybe you have a relationship with with a person who's caught up in that type of lifestyle and you can speak wisdom to them. You You can bring them to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And really, honestly, it's only Jesus that can break the bondage of that. The verse that I'm going to close on tonight, and this was, you know, a lot of warnings Um, A lot of encouragement, but also a lot of real practical things that we deal with day to day. So the the verse I want to close with is 1 John 4.4. 
because we talked about the pull of the world, you know, in a lot of different ways tonight. But what, is, what does it say there in 1 John 4, 4? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let the time